everyone. Welcome to Way of Life podcast, where we firmly believe that everyone picks a way in life and what way you pick is extremely important and directly affects how you live. In this podcast, we seek to interview people from all around Australia and beyond on life's most important topics. Whether you're a Christian, a skeptic, or someone with a whole heap of questions, this podcast is for you. My name is Matt, a pastor living in Brisbane, Australia. This is Way of Life podcast. So, Patricia, we've yeah. got uh, quite a number of questions, uh, some keen questions from people. Um, the one that got voted on the most was, how does a single person find true freedom if freedom is so closely linked to marital relationships? That is an excellent question. Let me just firstly just clarify that because true when I said true freedom, what I meant is true freedom of physical, sexual intimacy is in a one man, one woman marital relationship. Uh, Matt, are you having an echo at that end? Sorry, say that again. Are you getting an echo on my sound? Uh, no, we're fine. Okay, that's fine. Okay, so let me just spend a few minutes just talking to you about intimacy now when we talk about intimacy for you singles your our world tells us that intimacy equals intercourse completely wrong we are created for true relationship and intimacy let me just tease out what i meant by intimacy when you are doing a bible study with someone guess what you are sharing intimacy you are sharing true spiritual intimacy. You're playing a game of, I don't know, tennis or whatever it is you play. You are sharing recreational intimacy. When you talk about something, you discuss, I don't know, the American elections or whatever, which I wouldn't suggest you do. You're sharing <laughs> a good intellectual intimacy. You're having fun together. You're going for a walk by the beach or the river. That is good recreational intimacy. When you are close to someone and you share those feelings you have, the, the, your worries, your love, what you want to do with your life, that is emotional intimacy. Now, if you're single, all those levels of intimacy is something you can build on. That will give you a freedom to share your life with someone. And we have a word for that. We call it friendship. Build good networks of friendship. Don't be afraid to ask married friends to allow you into their family as friends. And for those of you who are married and listening in, may I ask you, look around and involve single friends in your activities, in your marriage, in your family. Allow them to be aunties and uncles to your children. This is so important. Now, what about physical intimacy? Sometimes singles ask me, 
How far should we go when we are not married? Is it okay to hold hands? Is it okay to kiss someone? Maybe just non-sexually as a friend. Now, here's what I tell you. Your body will tell you when your feelings are entering sexual territory. How do we know that? We talk of what we call, I'm now switching on science facts, we talk of what we call the sexual response. When you are sexually turned on, your body knows, your brain knows. Now for men, that's easy. You've got a built-in barometer. It's called an erection. <laughs> Women, it's not quite that simple, but you know your body, your genitals, your brain says, whoa, this is feeling sexual. I feel sexy. That's when you don't go down that path and continue physical intimacy. So yes, as friends, as you know, when you're together as close friends, should you say hello? Well, of course, now you can't. I don't know how it is in Queensland, but here we have no hugging, no kissing. So if, when we have, when we are in a post-COVID world where physical intimacy is allowed, holding hands, a hug, these are good ways of bringing people together. But the naked and no shame contact of sexual intimacy is what we keep for that one man, one woman. So every single day, make friends, have fun, build intimacy, but keep that beautiful, naked, no shame, vulnerable, other pure focus sharing for marriage. Thanks, Patricia. Um, we got another bunch of questions. Uh, you touched on the idea that porn generally is, is everywhere we look. Uh, how should we respond to this? Should we not watch the TV? Should we just not uh, have the internet? Should we go back into the dark ages? Like, how, how does that work? It's called wisdom. It's called wise, making wise choices. It's called teaching your children, your sisters, your brothers, the younger people around you, that if you see something and it arouses you sexually, that is a sign in your mind that this is not good. So use wisdom in making choices. Now I talked to a young single man who said that he avoids walking through lingerie section in the in the um, in the uh, in the shopping mall because he gets turned on by seeing lazy bras and underwear. So he avoids it. So recognize what turns you on and avoid it. I talked to another young subcontinental boy who said that he can't he can see the naked girls on the beach in their bikinis. It does nothing to him. But if he watches a Bollywood dance, it really turns him on. So he doesn't watch the movies with the Bollywood dancing. So use wisdom. Now Pornography, as in explicit porn videos, that is obviously that level at which, that point at which you said, that is going to definitely affect your brain and why your brain. But in movies and books, even books, you know, use your wisdom in making those choices. Yeah. That's really good. So uh, kind of following on, it's, it's not one that's been voted on huge amounts of times, but 
Um, if you have, say, for instance, this is a huge, huge issue I find particularly with, um, in uh, young people is that if you have actually watched pornography or um, or even, I don't know if you want to take this as a second question, but if you've had sex before marriage, uh, how, how do you go forward with that? It's a huge question. Yeah, let me talk about porn first because that is a very common issue. Because often children are exposed, you know what happens is that when you're young, you're in school, often it's just just accidental exposure to start off with. I sat with a nine-year-old young man who said, you know, he was just looking for something for his project. And he came across this site, which had all these naked girls. And he said, are you 18? And of course he said, I'm 18. And it just went in there, and from there on, he just hooked his brain. So you can inadvertently, even accidentally get into it. And it gets in and starts wiring your brain. And so you get then, or you have a friend who shows it to you, and then you feel like bad to turn away, and you get interested. Because your brain naturally gets curious about what it is, and interested. Because sex does affect those really vulnerable parts of your brain. Now, if that's so, you know, the first thing is, if you've been watching porn, if you have either in the past or now are watching porn, the first thing is that you are not a bad person because you're watching porn. It's the porn that is bad. It's the producers of porn. Porn, which is often tied in with sex, trade and sex trafficking. That is what is evil. You are not evil. That's the first thing. And if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, God loves you. There is no sin that can separate you from that love of God. You know, pornea, sexual immorality, these things draw you away from walking close to God, but it can never really separate you from the love of God. So, if you are watching porn and your brain has been wired, now, if, if any of you want to contact me through my website, I can send you a little document to help you. But very briefly, you need to stop to allow your brain to detox, basically, to rewire. Your brain has to have time to wash out the porn and rewire good intimacy back into it. Won't happen overnight. So there are a whole lot of things. You can put external filters on your computer. You can put in programs like Covenant Eyes, which allow someone else to help you. We call them accountability partners. You're a Christian. You need you talk to someone and ask them to walk with you, to help you. The final aim is to rewire the brain to good intimacy. And it will happen. But it will take some time, depending on how much of wiring already has gone in. Now, that's for porn. Now, you... We, we just move very briefly from there into what if you already had sex? What if, because I said sexual immorality, pornea, the words tied in together. What if you already had sex? Now, oh, I, as now I don't do therapy, but for quite a while I was doing sex therapy, couples therapy. And often I would sit with a couple where the girl or the boy, one of them would say, I love my husband, but I can't forget the people I've been with. Mm. 
or of which I can't forget the porn stars I've seen. You know, when you have sex with someone, remember I talked to you about the binding. Hmm. It leaves video clips in your mind. And it takes while for those to be washed out and replaced with good intimacy. This is why the one man, one woman, you're having sex with one person and you're building that relationship. You are allowing your brain to form new circuits of intimacy with that person. And that wiring will with time override the wiring of those little video clips or images that are there. They do stay for a while, but they will be overridden now. From a Christian point of view, Jesus says clearly that he, Jesus was the only sinless person on earth. We are all sinners. If not sexually, we sinned in a billion other ways. We all have. But Jesus said clearly that we are born again if we believe in him. You are a new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. So you see, whatever you've done before, you've had sex or been unfaithful or whatever, believing in Jesus is turning around and turning your life around and you are a new creation. Ephesians chapter 4, put off your own self which is corrupted with deceitful desires and be made new. So that is our promise. You know, we are all sinners, but we are promised that new life and that is a beautiful promise we are made new in jesus yeah that's really good so it's kind of this refocusing on the identity that we now have on on christ and doing things to kind of spur us on towards that um Mm -hmm. got a another question um does contraception give us undeserved levels of control over purpose over the purpose of union given God's dual purposes of sex for pleasure and procreation? I guess the question I'm asked, and I guess this ties in with this, is contraception okay? You yeah. know, is it like, if we take contraceptive, we do whatever we want? See, it's really, again, one of these sort of contraception, all science comes from God. All science is God's creation because he gave us our mind our inquiring mind. And that's all part of God's plan. So even the people who discovered contraception are from God. So contraception is something that we use when, you know, married couples. You think, you know, we've been newly married, we are 19 years old, we've got to go through uni, let's put it off for a while. And but So you use contraception to... Have make life such that you have a way of looking after the kids God gives you. And that's good. But if you're using contraception to say, oh, I'll take the pill and that means I'm not going to have babies and I can have as much sex as I want, that then brings the danger of you are binding yourself to people and you are using a good gift rather than a gift that is made to bind and hold and celebrate in an other-focused manner, you're using it for selfish, self instant self-gratification. 
That is where it goes wrong. Or if a couple get married and then say, oh, we just get on to contraceptives and not have any babies just because we want to have a good life and travel and make lots of money, then you need to reconsider. Are we using contraception for the right reason? So there is no clear yes or no answer. It comes down to the wisdom and what are you truly worshipping? Are you worshipping? What are your attitude towards it? Are you? Is it because you're idolizing the good life or are you using it so that you can give life to your family? Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, got another question. How do you go about shaking kind of the negative attitude that sex kind of equals bad and, and sin, um, moving into marriage and, and the guilt from being taught uh, that belief from, say, a young age? How do you kind of flip the switch when you get married? Uh, there is, that is one of the big problems because we have not taught in the church. We have taught people... Oh, we celebrate, you know, just, but we haven't taught that sex is a joyous thing. And, you know, you remain celibate because it is a joyous thing. So, just by chance, I do happen to have a copy of my book here. It's called The Best Sex for Life. And if you're thinking you want to, I don't know if you can see that, but if you want to get The Best Sex for Life, this book, The Best Sex for Life, which is available through my website or wrong or any Christian bookstore just tells you about how sex is actually a beautiful thing and it takes you through just what you said that what if I'm feeling all these yuck, sex is yuck and I should keep away from it if you're getting married, when you get married take it slow don't rush enjoy the journey of getting to know each other you know in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 we, uh, the Apostle Paul says, wife, your body belongs to your husband. Husband, your body belongs to your wife. So when you're married, share whole body intimacy. Don't think, oh, we've got to make a dive for the pelvis. That's not what it's all about. It's about enjoying the whole body intimacy. That will help you get over the feelings of, oh, you know, sex is impressive and sex is bad and talk to someone talk to people talk to married couples talk to other people and just allow yourself to get into that we throw songs together when you're getting married and the erotic the attitude of enjoying each other it's really good kind of on a similar topic there's one that uh, quoting uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, it says, All is permissible, but not as, uh, but all is, uh, not all is beneficial, sorry. Um, so what are kind of the boundaries for intimacy even inside marriage? Yeah, so let's talk. Well, obviously all is permissible, but I will not be, uh, I will not be a slave to anything. And that goes on from there. You know, not everything is good for me. And that then ties into, you know, one man, one woman, physical intimacy, that naked, no shame is for marriage. But once you are married, for any of you married listening, again, if you look at my book, uh, Best Sex for Life, I go into this in detail. I tell couples, there's a three-pointer to ask yourself as to what is permissible. And the first thing is, is what I'm thinking in any way physically or emotionally harmful for either my partner or myself. Now, this works 
even if you're dating or even if you're just sending someone a text, uh, a text message, is what I'm doing emotionally or physically harmful? Now, if, uh, for instance, you're married and you're thinking of a sexual act, let's take something really simple like maybe oral sex, which a lot of couples enjoy in marriage. But if one partner says, I don't like this, you know, for a variety of reasons it could happen, then to force them becomes emotionally harmful. So first question, is it physically or emotionally harmful? Second question, what we talked about from 1 Corinthians 6, your body is meant to honor God. So do you honor your partner? Is what I'm asking my partner to do, what we are planning to do, <coughs> honoring my partner and my body? Are we honoring each other's bodies by doing this? Some people ask me about about things like uh, what's called BDSM, bondage and discipline and tying each other up and things like that. And I say, are you honoring your partner when you do that? So run that by you. Is it harmful? Are you honoring your partner's body and your body by doing this? And thirdly, is it something that is actually building up our intimacy? Are we binding together by this? Or is one person like really feeling, you? I don't want to do this. So, and how, how do you do all this? You talk. Communication is the foundation. Open yourself. Tell each other what you enjoy. And then work out what is best for you. That way, you will both be content and build up your relationship. Mm, that's really good advice. Thank you, Patricia. Um, just a couple more. Uh, what do you think? It's kind of going on a similar topic we've talked about before, but do, what do you think of Christians that choose to stay celibate? Um, is that actually healthy for them in terms of their spirituality and physical health? And I imagine you know a little bit about this because your, your son is a celibate at the, at the moment, yes? <laughs> I mean, look, if you are single and celibate, may I advise you that most important thing is to have good friends who will walk with you, both men and women. You need male friends and female friends with whom you can share your life. And I mean share your life, truly intimate friendship. For instance, I have a single friend who lives in country, New South Wales, whom I met when I was doing a tour, talking there, I think about four years ago. We have maintained a friendship. We see each other only once in, I don't know, maybe once a year, once twice a year. But we talk to each other at least once a week. And I know her feelings and she knows me. So we have an emotional intimacy of sharing. Build those emotional friendships with people, with family, be aunties and uncles to children. And they'll be happy. You know, you have young married friends offer to babysit the children. They'll be so happy because then they can go and have some sex while your mind they're having fun with their children. So <laughs> that is important. And you know, if you ask my son, he will say, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, you know, if you're married, 
You're worrying about your wife and the children. If you're not married, you've got all that energy to put into working for God and building up the kingdom. Mm. That's exciting. You will have children. Maybe not by but there will be so many young people whose lives you have touched who will grow up and bless you for being the one who supported them when they were young. Be that. That's so helpful. Um, just last question for you, Patricia, before we wrap up. Thank you so much for your time. Um, in terms of, uh, I've forgotten the question. There we go. <laughs> oh, yeah, there we go. Is it wrong for a Christian uh, to be married but not have children? Because I, I, I don't know who's asking it, but I know there's an aspect where some people unfortunately can't have children yeah. um, are unable right. and uh, but even if people don't want to have children how, how does that fare with the Bible is that okay or uh, what, how would you answer that that's a good question because the question then is to ask yourself why why are we not wanting children I mean there are so many couples I have sat with for whom it is a grief they long to have children and either one cannot, you know, for some infertility reasons, or maybe they have miscarriages, and they grieve. It's a true grief to not have children. And they often feel their life by being auntie or uncle, or they foster children, or they adopt a child. That's a beautiful thing, to give a child who doesn't have a family a family. Yep. So, you know, that's a beautiful thing. But where the question sort of really comes down is what is your aim? Are you, how are you serving God in your marriage? There are couples who have said we get married and then we are going as missionaries to some country. And we don't want to have children where, you know, they're growing up somewhere and we've got to be worrying about their, their safety and there are places where Christians are persecuted and it's just actually dangerous. We don't want, so we want to serve God as a couple. And so we choose not to have children. What am I pointing here? What is your aim? Where are your attitude of not choosing not? But then what about a couple who say, we want to get married, but we want you know, to make money and we want to travel, we want to see the world after travel restrictions are lifted, we want to see the world and have a good time. Then you need to question, is that a godly attitude? So what do we come to? It's not the action, it's the heart yeah. behind the action. So ask yourself, what is my heart? Why am I making this decision? Is it God-focused or is it expressive individualism, me focused, I want to have fun. Why am I honoring God? Mm. That finally is really all we want to think about. What are, why am I making this decision? Am I doing it because I am looking to be happy and satisfy my authentic self? Or am I making this decision because my ultimate reality is to live my life in the service of God. Mm. If you're a Christian, may I challenge you young people to ask yourself that. And whether it's your sex life or any other decision, if a decision is made with that in mind, God bless you.
Thank you so much, Patricia. Um, thank you for taking of your time to, to be with us and, and to give us uh, some really good answers to some tough questions. Um, really appreciate you giving of your time. Um, if you want to learn more about Patricia, then you can head on over to patriciawirakun.com where she has a whole bunch of resources, resources like that book that she held up, um, and she's written a whole bunch of really, really good book, books outside of that as well, which are, are really good on this topic. Uh, thank you, everyone, who's joined us. Uh, if you found this helpful, then feel free to share this with your friends once it's out. And uh, on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Away of Life podcast. Um, it's, our, it's our joy to make this free and, and available to as many people that can uh, benefit from it. Uh, until next time, we'll catch you later. Thanks, Patricia. Thank you. Pleasure being with you. God bless you all.